0: Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 28th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1978 and 1984. We're using the edition edited by Professor Michael Waldstein, to whom we're so indebted. Imminent shame. We are rereading the first chapters of Genesis in order to understand how, with original sin, the man of concupiscence took the place of the man of original innocence. The words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself, which we considered two weeks ago, document man's first experience of shame in the face of his creator a shame that could also be called cosmic. In the biblical text, however, this cosmic shame, if it is possible to grasp its features in man's overall situation after original sin, gives up its place in, to another form of shame, it is the shame produced in humanity itself, that is, caused by the innermost disorder in that through which man in the mystery of creation was the image of God and his personal eye, as much as in interpersonal relationship, namely, through the primordial communion of persons constituted by man and woman together. That shame, whose cause is found in humanity itself, is both imminent and relative. It manifests itself in the dimension of human interiority, and at the same time, it refers to the other. This is the shame of woman with regard to man, and also of man with regard to woman, a reciprocal shame, that compels them to cover their nakedness, to hide their own bodies, to withdraw from man's sight what constitutes the visible sign of femininity, and from the woman's sight what constitutes the visible sign of masculinity. The shame of both oriented itself in this direction after original sin when they realized they were naked. As Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 attests, the Yahwist text seems to indicate explicitly the sexual character of this shame. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Nevertheless, we can ask ourselves whether the sexual aspect has only a relative character. In other words, whether it is a question of shame of one's own sexuality only in reference to the person of the other sex. Although, in the light of that one decisive phrase in Genesis, chapter 3, verse 7, the answer to this question seems to support, above all, the relative character of original shame. Nevertheless, reflection about the whole immediate context allows us to discover its more imminent background. That shame which shows itself without any doubt in the sexual order reveals a specific difficulty in sensing the human essentiality of one's own body, a difficulty man had not experienced in the state of original innocence. In this way, in fact, one can understand the words, I was afraid because I am naked, which highlight the consequences of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in man's innermost being. These words reveal a certain constitutive fracture in the human person's interior, a breakup, as it were, of man's original spiritual and somatic unity. He realizes for the first time that his body has ceased drawing on the power of the Spirit, which raised him to the level of the image of God. Its shame bears within itself the signs of a specific humiliation mediated by the body. Hidden within, it is the germ of that contradiction that was to accompany historical man in his whole earthly journey. As St. Paul writes, I joyfully agree with the law of God in my innermost being, but I see in my members another law, at war with the law of my mind. Romans chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Thus that shame is imminent. It contains such cognitive sharpness that it creates a fundamental disquiet in the whole of human existence, not only in the face of the perspective of death, but also in the face of the perspective on which the very value and dignity of the person depend in their ethical meaning. In this sense, the original shame of the body, I am naked, is already fear, I was afraid and pre-announces the unrest of conscience connected with concupiscence. The body is not subject to the spirit as in the state of original innocence, but carries within itself a constant hotbed of resistance against the spirit, and threatens in some way man's unity as a person, that is, the unity of the moral nature that plunges its roots firmly into the very constitution of the person. The concupiscence of the body is a specific threat to the structure of self-possession and self-dominion through which the human person forms itself, and it also constitutes a specific challenge for the person. In any case, the man of concupiscence does not rule his own body in the same way, with the same simplicity and naturalness, as the man of original innocence." The structure of self-possession, which is essential for the person, is in some way shaken in him to its very foundations. He identifies himself anew with this structure in the degree to which he is continually ready to win it—sexual shame. It is with such an interior imbalance that imminent shame is connected— and it has a sexual character because the sphere of human sexuality seems to be precisely the one that particularly brings to light the imbalance springing from concupiscence, and especially from the concupiscence of the body. From this point of view, that first impulse, about which Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 speaks, is very eloquent. They realized that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It is as if the man of concupiscence, man and woman in the act of the knowledge of good and evil, experienced that he had simply ceased, also through his body and his sex, to remain above the world of living beings or animalio. It is as if he had experienced a specific fracture of the personal integrity of his own body, particularly in that which determines its sexuality and which is directly linked with the call to that unity in which man and woman will be one flesh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, that imminent and at the same time sexual shame is always at least indirectly relative. It is shame of one's own sexuality in relation to another human being. It is in this way that shame is shown in the account of Genesis chapter 3, and so we are in some sense witnesses of the birth of human concupiscence. It is thus sufficiently clear why we go back from Christ's words about the man male who looks at a woman to desire her, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, to that first moment in which shame is explained by concupiscence and concupiscence by shame. In this way, we understand better why and in what sense Christ speaks about concupiscent desire as adultery committed in the heart, why he turns to the human heart. The human heart holds within itself at one and the same time desire and shame. The birth of shame orients us toward the moment in which the inner man, the heart, by closing itself to what comes from the Father, opens itself to what comes from the world. The birth of shame in the human heart goes hand in hand with the beginning of concupiscence. The threefold concupiscence, according to Johannine theology, see the first letter of St. John, chapter 2, verse 16, and in particular of the concupiscence of the body. Man has shame of the body because of concupiscence. More exactly, he has shame not so much of the body, but more precisely of concupiscence. He has shame of the body motivated by concupiscence. He has shame of the body motivated by that state of his spirit, to which theology and psychology give the same name, desire or concupiscence, although with a meaning that is not entirely the same. The biblical and theological meaning of desire and concupiscence differs from the one used in psychology. For psychology, desire springs from a lack or necessity which the desired value must appease. Biblical concupiscence, as we deduce from St. John's First Letter, chapter 2, verse 16, indicates the state of the human spirit. Distant from original simplicity and from the fullness of values that man and the world possess in the dimensions of God. This simplicity and fullness of the value of the human body in the first experience of its masculinity, femininity, about which Genesis chapter 2 verses 23 through 25 speaks, later underwent a radical transformation in the dimensions of the world at that point, together with the concupiscence of the body, shame was born. Shame has a twofold meaning. It indicates the threat to the value, and at the same time it preserves this value in an interior way. The fact that the human heart, from the moment in which the concupiscence of the body is born in it, holds within itself also shame, indicates that one can and must appeal to the heart when it is a question of guaranteeing those values that concupiscence deprives of their original and full dimension. If we keep this in mind, we are able to understand better why Christ, speaking about concupiscence, appeals to the human heart. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 28th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. As always, there are many salient points in our Holy Father's catechesis. He speaks to us in this 28th presentation on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, still of the man of concupiscence, fallen man. In the first chapter of the first part, he spoke to us, About the beginning. He spoke to us about original holiness, about original justice, about original unity. Here we're speaking about the consequences of original sin. The man of concupiscence is the man who has a tendency to do evil, a tendency to sin. That's what concupiscence means. And it does not refer just to our first parents, to Adam, to Eve, but to all of us who have inherited that sin with our human nature. Pope John Paul II speaks to us about shame in this 28th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. Shame is a part of concupiscence. Shame is a part of the consequence of original sin. I was afraid, so I hid myself. The words of Genesis relate to us, original shame. Pope John Paul II in this catechesis highlights imminent shame. Not a distant shame, not a foreign shame, but shame deep within, in the person. Not even an exterior shame so much. A shame which we cannot get away from. Pope John Paul II is speaking to us about the first experience of shame, the consequence of the fall immediately. The scriptures tell us how from full and total communion, then our first parents begin to hide themselves, to cover themselves with garments, nakedness, not just bodily, but spiritually, defenseless and bare. The first experience of shame, not only of our first parents, but then once we reach the age of reason, we have our own first experience of shame. I can't believe I did what I've just done. I'm so sorry for my sins. Shame moving us to contrition, to sorrow, to repentance. Not only is there the imminent shame in our first parents, the imminent shame within ourselves, not only as a consequence of that sin we inherit, but the sins we commit, not only the first experience of shame, that of our first parents and our own personal sins, but there is a cosmic shame. Shame in the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, ordered by God, disordered by man, by our sins. We have introduced disorder into that harmony which God established in the beginning. We have been created to be the pinnacle of the creation, the pinnacle of the cosmos, and the Lord became incarnate to reestablish that order, to take away our shame and to give us the grace we need to correspond to his holy will. Shame produces inhumanity itself, cause the innermost disorder in the self. It's a reciprocal shame, not just his shame, not just her shame, not just your shame, not just my shame. Interpersonal, interrelational, not only us with ourselves, but us with God, and us with each other, each of us. When Pope John Paul II addresses shame in this 28th catechesis, he does so not to shame us, but to analyze the situation, to say, what is it all about? Is there a remedy? But a remedy is not sought unless the patient is acknowledged to have a malady, a sickness. And sin is a sickness. Sin is a malady the redemption, conversion, grace. These are the remedies. And as a diagnostician, our Holy Father is calling a spade a spade, speaking to us not only of reciprocal shame, but the original shame, original sin giving rise to original shame. And there's no getting around it. Some of this shame is shame in the sexual order, shame bearing within itself, The signs of a specific humiliation mediated by the body. Sometimes shame is because of a lack of ability. So when we're older and our holy father gave us a great witness of this when he died in two thousand five, he was not ashamed to show the Humiliation mediated to him by his body. He struggled, but he was faithful to the last. And so we are called to be likewise faithful to the last, like our Lord Jesus Christ, who was humiliated in his body on the wood of the cross for my sins and my salvation and yours. The imminent sexual shame Pope John Paul II teaches us is at least relative in relation to another being the immanent part it's within us but the relational part is when it is in relation with the other either the other adam or father or the new Adam who is Christ, or one's husband or wife. Imminent sexual shame is at least relative. Not relative as in there's no such thing as shame, or no such thing as shame in the sexual order, but there is a relative aspect to it, relative in the relational sense. I am not corresponding to the holiness in my body that I am called to live. That is a source of shame. The birth of shame, Pope John Paul II reminds us, orients us toward the moment in which the inner man closes itself to what? comes from the Father. And what comes from the Father is only good, all good. And this opens us rather to what comes from the world. And not the good world of the good creation, but the fallen world. This is a disorientation consequence of the birth of shame. So thanks be to God we have as a remedy. A new birth in the saving waters of baptism, when the eternal consequences of original sin, damnation, hellfire, are washed away, are cleansed, are taken away from us. With waters made holy and powerful by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. By the outpouring of his Spirit upon those same waters, even as the Spirit hovered over the waters of creation. It's the birth of a new soul in Christian baptism, which is the remedy for the birth of shame, which disorders us. The new life given in Christ is a reorientation back towards God. Turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel, words we hear in the liturgy of Lent. Pope John Paul II, in this 28th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, speaks to us not only about the birth of shame, but also the birth of of human concupiscence. And again, this is in a section entitled, The Man of Concupiscence. So it's important for us to remember just what the heck concupiscence is. It's a tendency to evil, a tendency to sin. And earlier in this chapter, the Holy Father had spoken to us about St. John's first letter, about the threefold concupiscence of the eyes of the flesh and pride of life. So now he's returning to concupiscence. The birth of human concupiscence. When did that happen? That happened at the fall. That happened in the beginning, after the good creation. Our first parents did not choose well, and they have passed on to us their posterity, this lack. Man has... Shame of the body because of concupiscence. No concupiscence, no shame. Why did they hide? Because they knew they were naked, because they had ceased to correspond to God's will for them. Not so much shame of the body, but more precisely of concupiscence. Shame of concupiscence, shame of the body motivated by concupiscence. When I am a glutton, when I am a drunkard, when I am a lustful man, these are all corporal, corporeal, bodily sins. And concupiscence is a tendency to sin. And so if I sin by eating or drinking too much or not enough, if I sin by not being chaste, these are sources of shame motivated by concupiscence in me. And the same is true for you. The Holy Father reminds us that shame was born together with the concupiscence of the body. Shame is explained by concupiscence and concupiscence by shame. They're related, the one and the other. The fruit of the tendency to sin is to sin, which is a source of shame in us. And the same is true for you. The Holy Father reminds us that shame was born together with The concupiscence of the body. Shame is explained by concupiscence and concupiscence by shame. They're related, the one and the other. The fruit of the tendency to sin is to sin, which is a source of shame in us. Pope John Paul II in this catechesis is explaining to us not only about shame, not only about sin, original sin, and our personal sins against chastity, against purity of heart, He's also speaking to us about the cure, the cure for these things. And so when there is unrest in our conscience, that's a sign that something is wrong. Like if you have a red spot on your arm, You might say, oh, I must have been bit by a bug, or I must have fallen down, or been hit by a a ball that was thrown. And then you treat the symptom. When there is unrest or unease, a disquieted conscience, it is because there's something there, especially when the conscience has been well-formed before the cross of the Lord who died to save us from our sin, especially when our conscience has been well-formed by sacred scripture and the sure and certain teaching of the church, of which this theology of the body has a privileged place, coming as it does from the lips of the successor to St. Peter, to whom Jesus Christ entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven saying what you bind on earth is bound in heaven and what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. These words were not just meant for the first generation for St. Peter's generation of Christianity. They're meant for all times for the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church built upon the rock of Peter. And the successor of St. Peter for the years 1978 through 2005 was John Paul II, born Karol Wojtyła. And he presents to us in these Wednesday catechesis this theology of the body, a way of understanding the human being, the human person, body and soul, made in the image of God, made to glorify God in the body. So when the conscience is well formed before the cross of the Lord, before the sacred scripture, before the sure and certain teaching of the church if there is an upset, a disquieted conscience, then repentance can be sought and enacted, lived. Grace and mercy can be sought and received and a new beginning given, a new beginning only made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Some people accuse Pope John Paul II of being a libertine, being immodest or lacking in virtue as he presented these talks Oh, pious ears cannot tolerate these conferences. So it's very important for us to have heard this 28th catechesis, where he reminds us of the importance of self-possession of self-dominion. He says this is essential for the person and for the formation of the person. This is nothing else than virtue. One who is vicious is not self-possessed, is not in self-control, does not have dominion over one's desires. Virtue is essential for the person because the root of the word virtue is vir, means man. It means we live in accordance with the nature, the way God made us. God made us well. He saw all that he had created, and it was good, including man, body, and soul, male and female, made to his image. That image is disfigured, not only by the sin we inherit from Adam and Eve, but even by our own sins we defigure it all the more. But Christ Jesus, who was disfigured, In his saving passion, he rose on the third day. That's our Easter faith. He rose and we rise with him through the saving waters of baptism. And we long to be with him in his glorified body, with our own glorified bodies in heaven, where we will neither be given nor taken in holy marriage. We will be all in all, completely self-possessed, joining the holy angels and saints as they adore God who is all good. Pope John Paul II is not only identifying the problem, he's also giving the remedy, self-possession, not license, not go do whatever the heck you want, not just follow any whim or impulse. He's presenting a theology of the body which includes theos, that means God. What does God intend for us? How does God intend us to use our bodies to his glory and our salvation? For if we are drunkards or gluttons or lustful people. The kingdom of heaven is not for us. There is a different destination, one to which God does not want us to go, but will let us if that is our desire. What's the quip, drive like hell you'll get there? Well, if we live unrepented, unconverted lives, if we make ourselves slaves to our passions, to sin, to Satan, We will join him for all eternity. The good news is, we don't have to go there. The good news is, Jesus Christ suffered and died to save us from ourselves, to save us from eternal damnation. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And Pope John Paul II is doing nothing other than presenting afresh, presenting anew, the gospel of God, the gospel of God who made our bodies, the gospel of God who has redeemed our bodies, the gospel of God who has made us body and soul, male and female in his own divine image. That's the gospel of God. Pope John Paul II is proclaiming in his man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. And when he addresses issues of a moral nature. When he addresses issues of a sexual nature, it's not to be catching the fancy of the world. It's to say the truth in love. It's calling us to holiness as Jesus Christ calls us to holiness in his Sermon on the Mount. Not only not to look upon another with desire, with covetousness in our hearts, but to recognize in the other a child of God, an adopted son or daughter of God, a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Pope John Paul II is calling us to be men and women of virtue. Chastity is one of the virtues, but the Holy Father is well aware of the others. His great work, which he oversaw, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, came out after these conferences were published, addresses virtue in relation to marriage and the family, where the family home is called the domestic church, a school of the virtues, human and divine. If we are true to our nature, if we receive the grace of God to help us be true to our nature, we can overcome concupiscence with God's help. We can combat sin in our lives, in ourselves, and in our world. We can correspond to God's holiness, the same holiness to which he calls us, who are partakers and sharers in his own divine nature by grace and faith and baptism. Until next time, God bless you.